Hi, I'm Jim Raffle. Welcome to this episode of the Dye Subcast, simply the best place to get information about dye sublimation printing. We will talk with equipment manufacturers, consumables manufacturers, dye sublimation producers, and we also like to share some of our own experiences from running a small dye sublimation business. Doesn't matter if you're new to dye sublimation or a seasoned professional with decades of experience, we're certain there is something here for you. I'm going to turn it over to my partner in business crime, Shelby. Hi, I'm Shelby Sapusic. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, before we introduce today's guest, we wanted to tell you about our upcoming training opportunity. Our next color management boot camp is going to be held in person at New Tech Digital Inc.'s Miami facility from August 31st to September 2nd. New Tech Digital Inc. has dye sublimation capabilities in their facility, so some of our intent these will be able to go through the hands-on profiling process using Dysub technology. Through Printing United Alliance, you can also become a certified digital professional by attending this workshop. So if you want to find out more about that, visit colorcasters.com Miami. And just a note, this is an in-person event, so registration is limited. All right, which means reserve soon. <laughs> All right, so now I'd like to introduce Nick Bittner. I've, uh, I've met met Nick several years ago, actually, when we were helping out our friend Ray Weiss at Printing United Alliance uh, with one of his Operation Dye Sublimation workshops. So Nick, I want to thank you for being here, and um, I'm going to let you uh, fill our listeners in on some of your background and what you're doing today. Okay, yeah, thank you very much, Jim. So I've been uh, in the printing world since I was in my teens. My family is in the heat transfer uh, space as well. Uh, they own a company called The Paper Ranch, and prior to that, they owned Winstone Specialty Graphics. Uh, they focused on heat transfer papers. They were one of the first master distributors for the Nina Colden Hall. Well, at that time, it was just Nina. It was actually owned by Kimberly Clark. Um, so I, I've been playing around with heat transfer and micro dry resin technology, wax ribbon, all that fun stuff since my early teens. Um, as of now, you know, it's primarily focused in the dye sublimation arena. I currently work for Imaging Supplies Warehouse based out of St. Louis, and that company sells just to distributors. Uh, and we are the master distributor currently for the Nina Coldenhove dye sublimation paper line, as well as uh, Nina Heat Transfers and uh, Forever Heat Transfer Papers. So a real textile focus. Uh, they also are the current OEM for the Oki Data printer line, which uh, their textile division kind of pulled out of the U.S. and we're now the new OEM there. Lots going on there. My experience, I've owned my own shop. I uh, had a big cut and sew operation for about three years with a partner. Uh, decided I liked my family. I had four kids and wanted to see them occasionally. So I decided that was not a good move for me and got out of that. We sold that business. I've just been in the process side of dye sublimation for at least the last dozen years, flying around the country, helping people with uh, color concerns and process concerns. And in doing so, have been uh, able to a lot of times when they're consumable business or what have you. So now working as a, uh, just with the distributors and not with the end users directly, it allows me to kind of educate the distributors and hopefully bring up the level of overall education in the 
in the industry. Yeah, that's a that's a, a great story, and and, and it actually it, it does tie into exactly what Shelby was talking about too with our boot camp coming up. We find that actually a fair number of the attendees. I I don't have a percentage, but I know a fair number of the attendees end up being from the distribution channel, not, you know, not necessarily the end users. I know one big, one big dealer, I'm not going to mention them right now by name, but they've run five or six people through the boot camp, some of them a couple of times. Um, and, and several of our boot camps that have had multiple attendees from, from distributors. So I think that's great. Yeah. That you're out there educating, educating the marketplace. Cause that's. Well, and I think it's, it's paramount. Like you were mentioning, you know, the, the color side of things, proper process and color profiling. If you don't have that, then you really aren't controlling your output, which leads to uh, less than lean manufacturing, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, hey, what I wanted to start with is we, we rolled into COVID last year, and I keep saying we're not going to talk about this, but it's just such a huge part of our story. We have to sometimes. So we, we rolled into COVID, what, I don't know, 15, 16 months ago now, whatever it is, 17. I'm, I'm, I've intentionally lost track. Um, and we, we decided over a very short period of time to, you know, start making these gators, which, you know, you and I've talked about before, and we needed yep. a backup heat press for, for Shelby, cause we decided we didn't want to be dependent on a single operation. Um, and if you were on video, you'd actually get to see her heat press, but it's sitting behind her all the time. And we talk about it all the time. It's kind of like the, uh, the, the unintentional guest on every episode, but, uh, what what can you tell like so if someone was starting a smaller business like that's i think that's where the core of our audience is and shelby can correct me if she thinks i'm wrong but you know someone who might buy a i don't know like a sawgrass 1117 and and they're just gonna they're gonna make you know obviously not masks and gaiters forever socks i don't know headbands that kind of stuff and and what kind of heat press would you be would you be recommending for those people why you know what should they be looking out for all that stuff so the first question becomes the, the clamshell or the swing away or the draw, right? What, what type of a press do I want to work with for dye sublimation? My preference, if space is not a concern, is a swing away press. The reason a swing away press is typically the, the go-to for me is that I want to be able to come down flat on whatever the substrate is. So like you mentioned with dye sublimation, you have... Uh, tens of thousands of products that you can decorate, right? So if we look at all the different products, some of them are flat, some of them are, have, have some thickness to them, metal, ceramic, glass, uh, fabric, mouse pads. So, you know, because there's such a wide variety of substrates to decorate, I like the flexibility of a swing away press. The clamshell presses will work um, some of the things that I caution people, if you're not using a tack product, in other words, a, a paper that has a tack, like the Nina Coldenhove Jet Cold PA, it has a tack to it, and it adheres to your fabric so that when you lift that press, the paper can't move and, and gas ghost, right? So if you don't have that tack product, then merely picking the press up on a fabric can cause it to ghost and auto open would certainly cause ghosting. So as we pick the press, we kind of got to think, what am I doing with it? Um, does it have a floating lower platen or is the lower platen rigid? Because that'll 
dictate whether I can get a, an object with some thickness in there and still have even pressure, right? Which is paramount to getting good transfer. So, so kind of, so kind you, of a loaded question. If you want me to, you know, go by way of which brand, I mean, I've worked with all of them over the years. I'm not a huge advocate of the Chinese presses just because, you know, they tend to not last the way they should. Um, George Knight makes a very robust machine, but uh, I get some customers that don't necessarily like the way they, the shirt loads onto that machine. And especially if you're working with a, a smaller shirt, uh, Hicks makes a very good machine. The Hicks uh, Swingman 20D, not a very expensive machine. I think it's a moderately priced machine. Um, that's a 16 by 20 platform. And it's got, uh, again, it's a swing away. Um, if you're looking in the clamshell department, again, if it's for a heat transfer, I, just about anything will work. And auto opens great because it keeps you from having to make sure you're there in time. But uh, if it's for die sub, typically I'm looking for something I can control. And uh, again, lots of options out there. You have Hotronics that makes a really nice clamshell. Hicks does. George Knight does. Can't forget about Insta. Um, Insta used to be my favorite brand of press, without a doubt. Um, when they made them here in the U.S., they no longer make those presses here in the U.S. And I uh, tend to have more more issues with them now, but they still have one of the best designs as far as ergonomics and functionality. Um, they have a cantilever platen design, so it's very easy, just like the Hotronics, to load the shirt onto the press. So, so I want to jump into something you said because I think it's really important. And and you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily always the American-made advocate, but in this particular case, I'm going to agree with you just based on personal experience. The last two presses we bought, we bought through uh, Nick when he worked for a, a prior prior company. And they're both um, from the, a company called Stalls. And one is the, the Hotronics with the drawer. And the other one is the clamshell that, that Shelby has. I don't know the exact model. You had the, you had the Fusion IQ was the yeah. one you bought. And then yeah. the other one was the clam. Correct. Yep. And both of those both had, great presses. Right. And both had minor. Well, one had a significant. So one Shelby's had a minor issue, jumped on the phone, got their tech support people, talked me through it, sent me a bag of, you know, 20 cent, five, five, 20 cent parts that um, I can now replace on site whenever I'm there. And Shelby can actually replace them, too. It was a, guess what I just noticed is broken. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, you know. One of the things I really like that Nick just said was uh, for space issues. Okay. So I have the clamshell as we were talking about, and that's because literally my third bedroom is my die sub lab. I don't have space in here with the work tables, my printer, my shipping area for my Etsy orders to ha have a, a swing. Uh, heat press. It just would not work in here. It's crammed as it is. Uh, but there is, so I have a stall and it says it's max press and I've not had any problems with ghosting. I, I don't know. I, I try really hard to research and do a lot of trial and error as far as variables when we're talking about uh, temperature and time and pressure. 
And I have not had a lot of problems with ghosting, but they're, I'm not sure what this piece is. It's a small plastic knob. Um, and it's right behind where you adjust the pressure. And it is broken yet again. This is the second time, but I've had the press for a year. So this is twice in a year. Just a rubber shock absorber, basically. Yeah. You have a whole bag of them somewhere, Shelby. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I have, remember how hard you had to work to get that yeah. on there? I don't think I have the strength to <laughs> prepare it, to be honest with you. I guess I'm coming to Greensboro. <laughs> um, yeah, that's not so bad. Around it for no, it's, it's one. Well, and I said, as I said, they, they've taken care of it. And then here we have the, the, what turned out to be the workhorse press that made thousands of gators is the the Hotronics and um, the I, Fusion IQ. That one we did have a, a kind of significant problem with um, and ultimately working with their tech support people, we figured out it was a manufacturing defect. They sent us a brand new one. I mean, it was just, it, and it wasn't like there was no question, there was no fighting back and forth. It was just, yeah, we're sending you a new one. And, and that was it, that was the end of the discussion. And we packed the old one back up in that box when it came and they scheduled a pickup for it and I'm telling you, that's that just in during the times of COVID, there's no way that could have happened with a with a piece of equipment that wasn't made in the U.S. Not as fast as it happened. I mean, it was they said we're sending you a new one and it was there in like three days. So golf fans behind their presses, no question. And, uh, you know, they make a good press. I I tend to think that those presses break more than the other brands, but they also have more functionality. So when you look at that Hotronics IQ, the Fusion IQ, yep. it will be a draw press. It'll be a swing press. It has all the interchangeable platens. I mean, it, it's really a very versatile press. It is. And I think that's when you start getting into die sub and all the different things you can do with die sub. Having a versatile press is a very important part of the equation if you really want to do all those different things. And it was either you, Nick, or um, uh, some, someone else. I can't think of who at the moment. Someone who I really trust, trust in this business said, having one heat press is like having no heat presses, and having two heat presses is like having one. Because <laughs> yeah, they, they, I don't they know break. That, that was mine, but they're right. Redundancy is paramount, for sure. <laughs> and they only break when you need them most. Oh, absolutely. No question. So we kept our, we replaced, we had a Geonite with a little bit of a, a even heat problem and we just, we kept it, you know, it's still, it's still a viable press for most things. And it's just over in the corner. Not, we don't use it anymore, but it's, we've got it. And if we ever, you know, if we ever needed a press, we'd fire it back up. And we did actually use it for a little while while we were waiting for that replacement press to come. But anyway, when you're, when you're, when you don't have hypercritical color concerns, and dye sublimation, unfortunately, you have to have even heat and even pressure all the way across that platen. Yep. If we're using a polymer-based transfer technology from Nina or forever, uh, both of those technologies, I can fudge that a little bit. If mm -hmm. you know they're, it's calling for 350 and I give it 330, it's still going to transfer fine. I can yeah. always bump up the dwell a couple of seconds and have no issues. But with yeah. dye sub, we know that'll that'll greatly affect our color 20 degrees is plenty so all right let's change gears here i know you have a lot of background in dye sublimation transfer paper um yes sir what would be some of your you've already mentioned tack and and that so tack's great for 
textiles, right? But what other yeah, like okay. tips and tricks would you have for the people doing a lot of, uh, I don't know, um, a lot of Chromalux or not just Chromalux, a lot of metal prints. What, what, what would you tell so, those people? Okay. So I think that the big thing with paper is that there are different types of paper for different decorating applications. Like you mentioned, the Dead Cold PA is a tack product for that's made by Nina Colton Hove for a fabric application or soft goods application, right? Because it's not, it's going to tack to that, but on a hard surface that would leave a residue and that would be undesirable. So if I look at that line specifically, and I keep bringing up Nina Colton Hove because they're one of the premier papers on the market. They're one of the first out there to come up with the technology and bring it to market and by virtue of being in the market so long, they've really had time to tweak and develop new products based on needs in the market. So when we talk about Chromalux and hard surface, immediately I go to the Jet Cold DHS, which is one of their newest papers. Um, it is a product, it's a 120 gram product. It's designed for hard surface application. The reason this product is so cool, it's keeping all of the ink in the top layer of the coating. So the, the whole premise behind the Nina Koldenhove line is that none of the ink should get into your base sheet of paper. Once the ink gets into that paper, it takes more to get it out. We always want it in the coating, but the Jet Cold DHS specifically, it sits near the top of the coating. And what we're able to do with that is get a sharper print we're able to put much less ink on the paper, 40, 50% reduction in ink, and we're able to reduce the dwell time substantially, which again, when you're starting to look at real process behind all of this, and again, Jim, I'm not talking about doing all this and not reprofiling, but at a very high level, I can come in and reduce the dwell time by 40% in some cases. So when we talk about throughput for these big manufacturers, they're, they're able to get better throughput. They're able to get incredible color with less ink. And they're actually able to, at the end of the whole thing, they're exposing this material to less dwell, less heat, which is better for the coating and all that as well. So it's a, it's a win across all platforms. It's just a, a massive change for most people. If you're used to running a, a standard 105 gram or some people still run 140 gram in this uh, hard surface market. Um, and I have some pioneers out there that are running 70 gram transferring to hard surface and having great results. Again, it's all about building it into your process, making sure the paper is going to be compatible with whatever your substrate is. So you're not going to have a modeled finish to the coating, you know, depending on how the manufacturer cures their coating, Chromalux being a very premium product uh, that we typically don't have a lot of problems with. You get some of the off-brand stuff that comes out of China. Sometimes the, the coating isn't cured at the right temperature. So then when we go to apply the transfer to the actual substrate, we'll end up getting a modeled finish in the coating. You'll see that happen as it's not the paper, it's that the coating can't take the heat. So... Again, never an issue with with Chromalux. Uh, the Chromalux product actually 
Well, the Jetcold DHS is actually in the Sawgrass driver. Right. So as a hard with paper. And yeah. that will automatically cue to cut your inks back. And uh, if anybody's looking for information on, you know, dwell time suggestions and all that, you can always reach out to ISW or you can reach out to any of the distributors of the Jet Cold DHS, like uh, Coastal or uh, Johnson Plastics. You know, there's a bunch of them out there that sell that product. I actually remember when we were making the profiles for the SG500 and 1000 that that paper did require uh, its own its own profile. So some of them were able to tweak or share a, a profile. Yeah, you can fudge it a little bit, but not with not this DHS. one. Yeah. <laughs> it's, this one did have its and own. again, that's if you're talking sustainable business, if we're talking lean manufacturing, which is where everybody's trying to get at the at the upper level for sure, uh, you know, this, this product is enabling people to do things that they would not otherwise have been able to do, you know, 40% ink reduction. That's, that's insane. Well, right. And I was thinking of, um, uh, a client or a sub client, really client of a client who has multiple 24 inch wide printers, um, cranking out prints for metal for, you know, paper for metal prints all day long. Yep. And um, I, I can only imagine what a 40% reduction in dwell time for them would mean in dollars the, and cents. The, the throughput gains are enormous. And again, I work currently through distributors, but I still am the one that walks through the door in most of these large photo gift accounts and helps to dial the products in and then helps tweak the process. And again, that's that's where the sale is occurring. It, it doesn't really doesn't matter what the paper costs. If you can increase my throughput by 40%, all those guys are slammed in that three month window at the end of the year. Uh, anything they can do to increase throughput and not sacrifice quality and not have to try and squeeze more machines on the floor. I mean, you know how all these people are set up, Jim. Yeah. They're, they're, they're lean they're, manufacturing. They're maxed out. <laughs> yeah. So. Lights out, lean manufacturing. Yep. yep. All right. So this is now we're gonna we're gonna kind of transition again into a topic area that's probably way more near and dear to Shelby's heart than mine with her design background. Um, I'll have to tell a quick story. So we met, we met. Well, Shelby, I think met Nick for the very first time at the what was then still called the ISS show in Long Beach, right before the pandemic began. It was January or February of twenty. So just a little over a year, year and a half ago. And um, we were wearing our brand new vapor apparel solar shirts with our logo on them. And we were so proud that we had made those in my, you know, brand new basement lab. And Nick walks up and goes, what's with that black? <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> You're sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> No, it was it was a good it was a good wake up call because we're very we we've made some changes. But um, why don't you tell people why you noticed that and what what you do to help people get a rich black out of a dye soap system? Okay, so uh, again, this all kind of ties into color profiling and ink limiting. There's only so much ink that's going down on the sheet, right? So when you're building a black, we have to consider that and say, well, if I want a smooth black, if I want something that isn't oversaturated. I can't just go to the corner and 
click the darkest black possible on the gamut and think that that's going to come out like a beautiful black uh, because my profile is going to have a, a hard limit at some point and it's not going to be able to put all the ink down. So it's going to limit those channels equally. So now I've got, you know, if it's a 300 ink limit, then I've got 75% of each channel. That means my build is now 75 K 75 C 75 M 75, 75 Y, which would that give you a good black gym? Well, well, no, because you can't, because <laughs> that adds yeah, up. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's going to not be a good black. So right. when I look at the, the schools of thought out there, I believe the way to build the best black is with majority black. And then I'll use somewhere between 10 and 30% of the other three colors. And I get phenomenal blacks. And I usually try and make sure they're pretty balanced. So if I'm doing something, I would go 100% K and then 30% cyan, magenta, and yellow. Yep. Look at that black. Tell me what that looks like. Well, the nice I thing about that is you're, you're only at 190. And a lot of times... Exactly. It's not an oversaturated black either. And it prints dark as night. So. You're actually going to get that. That the profiles can actually allow it to produce exactly that. And the... The only other way, and so what we've had to do with some people to help them get around that uh, with profiles that we just don't have time to rebuild is then you have to teach them how to do spot color replacement if they're using a rip that supports that and some don't. That allows that, correct. Yep. And that can and then, be an issue as well. Yep. So I, I really think that people get so caught up in their own color palette because, oh, well, this is how we make this red. Well, okay, that's how you, you made that red in the past or that black in the past, but why don't, why don't you let me make one? Let me, let me design a red for you and let's see how that prints and see if it still comes out of the machine soaking wet and see if I still hit the same color. So a lot of people don't understand that you can make the same color with different recipes. So right. you know, I'm an advocate of trying to find that color without oversaturating the sheet. Um, unless of course, oversaturation is what you're looking for. And in a process where you're trying to blow through the fabric or something like that, like a, a two-sided flag application. Right. Right. Absolutely. All right. So I don't know, Shelby, you have anything else you want to jump into our, uh, our no, standard. I'm, I'm just thinking about all the designs I need to go back and, look at because some of our really early designs I was just using black black you know and you know I think I should like the paw prints designs with the white paw prints with the black behind it that was one of our very first designs and you know that one has always been troublesome and I wonder if we went back and actually made a black with 30 30 30 or 20 20 20 of CMY and I'm so no I'm just thinking about all the work I have to do <laughs> sorry again <laughs> no no you know i should have thought of this way back when <laughs> way back when in january february 2020 when you said that to me i, I should have uh taken that to heart back then that's my bad <laughs> and we have jake some of the stuff jake's designed here we have we have done rich blacks and it, it does turn out better uh, no, no question about that so so nick what we do now is we ask everybody the same well, we end with the same three questions. We're going to ask you two more, and then you get to ask us almost anything. 
So I'm going to let Shelby ask these questions unless is, is your assistant being noisy there? Is that why you've been muted all day? Uh, he's okay now. He was a little whiny earlier. I have a dog in here. <laughs> uh, he's, he's better now. He's just kind of sitting there looking at me. So I'm okay. I think so, we should, I think we should put Zeke in the logo for the dice. Subcast. <laughs> oh, that's cool. My uncle's dog, his name was Zeke back in the day. Good old Zeke. Yeah. It's a great Zeke, dog name. Zeke is an old man. He turned 11 in May. I've had him since he was six months old. He's a rescue and uh, you know, he doesn't know anything but me, basically. So he's a good companion for sure. Awesome. But, awesome. So um, our first question for you is what is the most interesting trend that you're seeing in die sub printing today? Huh. Well, what am I seeing? I'm seeing a massive shift to the Nina Coldenhoe paper I'm out there pushing. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's the trend I'm seeing because I got my nose to the grindstone right now, helping these distributors go out there and get it. Um, some of the trends, I mean, I, I don't really want to pinpoint just one. I would say neons has been a trend for a while. I think people are now kind of, there's more than one or two solutions out there. So that's kind of cool. Um, I think the trend has, you know, kind of maintained that consumable price is being driven down by Chinese imports, um, higher speed printers. Uh, that is definitely a trend. Epson coming out into the market, into the die subspace on the small format. That's causing, I think, an eruption in net new Die sublimation customers. Um, I read something pretty interesting the other day about die sub being the largest segment of the digital print market because of all of the different segments that it touches. And I thought that was really, you know, something staggering to me because I remember when die sub was nothing before it existed, like before it was. I remember at least digital. I'm not talking die sub period. I'm saying digital die sublimation was non-existent. And now it is because it touches all these different segments of different markets. It's massive. Doesn't always use paper. It can be direct dispersion and so forth, but it's a massive technology. So I'm really excited to see it grow and see it come to what it is. It's fascinating to me how many different things are going on in DICEB. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. Uh, we were just talking to someone in our previous podcast and she was saying, she said something that really got me is like, if you want to get into DICEB, go ahead. There's plenty of room for you. There's plenty of room to grow. And there is, there's plenty of different market out there. Everybody that finds where I find the people have their most success is when they pick a vertical, pick their niche, and they go after it. You know, the a lot of people try and do it all. It's very difficult to do it all. The companies that do it all, they're hundreds of millions of dollars that do it well, right? And Jim, you know, again, the companies I'm talking about that, that offer everything under the sun in the photo gift world, yeah, it's difficult for a smaller business to do that. There's just too much inventory. There's too many different processes, too much opportunity for, for a mistake here or there. Um, and that erodes your profit. So I'd really, my biggest suggestion would be find that six products, the 12 products that are going to make your business hum and run with those 
And then if a couple of those products aren't doing so well, take them out of the lineup and add two new ones to play with. The, the market is constantly evolving. There's always new product available. I know this one, one of my larger distributors, Coastal, brings in huge amounts of product from overseas that are all different types of, of product to be decorated. And some of the stuff I've never seen before. I thought I knew it all. I, I walked through that warehouse and I'm like, what is this? They're like, oh yeah, you can die sub that now. So, you know, that's, I think that's why die sub isn't, isn't staying put. It's continuing to grow. It's, it's amazing. Again, well, it blows my mind. We just made a, uh, we just die subbed on a glittery pink bag today. It was kind of fun. <laughs> I, I actually have some of those at my house. <laughs> I bought them because I have a wife and two daughters that'll be all about them. I just, I need to stop traveling so I can actually decorate them. I'll text you our design. Um, Cause by the time this is published, it will have been out on social media, but I'll, I'll send you a text with what we put on it. It's kind of funny. It's um, pink is the new black, but you've got to see the design that my son came up with. It's pretty cool. Um, I look forward to it. That's awesome. Speaking of color, Shelby has one more question for you. So this is a hard one, but what's your favorite color and why? Okay, well, I've actually, this is an easy one for me. It's red, always has been red since I was a little kid. Um, and as I became a color professional, and it's always the color people struggle with to get that beautiful red. And I pride myself in being able to do that pretty quickly. So as long as, again, they've got a, a good environment built with a proper profile and they've got a tight process i can i can produce that coca-cola red all day long and i love ferraris those are also red so yeah. you know a lot of cool things in red love it and i use coca-cola red as an example for color management all the time because coca-cola cares about that red they care what it looks like on an aluminum can and a billboard in the california sunshine or yeah it's got a match across the board yeah yep I've done some work for Coca-Cola. I did so with my cut and sew facility and yeah, they were, they were thrilled with my red. Awesome. I love it. Oh, they were thrilled with their red. I just reproduced it. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so it's your okay, turn. So, okay. Ask us yeah, my, I guess my question for you would be, you know, when you're all grown up with your business, what does it look like? Your dye sub business? What, what would be your, what would your dream look like with your dye sub business? I'm going to go for, I'm going to go first. So Shelby has a chance to think. So I like it for, for me, it's really simple. And, and Jake and Shelby know this, we, we got into that business. Um, and I just did air quotes because we had to, right. I mean, we, we couldn't go out, um, well, we could have gone out, but because our some of our customers were essential, but nobody was asking us to come out. So there was no, there was literally nothing for about three months where where there was any consulting, which is the you know the vast majority of our income. And so we had to do something, and so it was a matter of survival and paying some bills. And so I was I was deep into it in the early days, and I've slowly but surely personally walked back from it. I, I'm not saying that I still don't get involved, like. Shelby asked me questions and I help pick new products. And, um, but it's for me, 
it's really just to support everything else we do. It's kind of a, um, it's an incubator or a lab for the rest of what we do. Um, from my perspective, I would just hope that someday 30 days go by where neither Jacob or Shelby asks me a single question about that business. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't lose money. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's my answer. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Jim kind of doesn't want much to do with it, but I am going to need you for something like to help me fix the seat post now <laughs> at some point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, for me, I mean, it's so much fun because I don't know if we've talked about this, Nick. I came from a journalism slash graphic design background. So being able to do some design work um, in this Dice Up, little Dice Up business I have has been a lot of fun over the last year. And I, I like being able to uh, work with some of the software that I haven't been working with a lot. And, uh, and I feel like as a color management consultant, you know, we've been working with a lot of people doing dye sub and I feel like I'm a better color management consultant now that I'm doing this, right. Cause I've had to do all the troubleshooting and I've had to think about all the variables and, you know, it's not just the color, it's the pressure, it's the heat, the time, you know? And so, yep. You know, so I've, it, the education has been great where I want to be someday. I mean, I don't want to let this go. Um, you know, I've had people in my family, you know, cause when we first started this, we were, it was gators and masks and then we added socks and now we have, I don't even know how many products we're trying and some of them go and some of them don't and you know, whatever. And in my, and they just expected that once the pandemic's over, I'm just going to give up the DISA business in the lab because we're not going to need masks and gators anymore. And, and I had to be like, no, that's not true. Because there's all sorts of promotional material that we're now using these materials for. We're getting, like Jim said, with that tote bag, we're going to be filling that tote bag with a whole bunch of things for us to take out to clients potential clients and uh, for our trainees at our color management boot camps or other training sessions where there's going to, you know, um, one of our podcasts was uh, Mark Jeeves. If you haven't listened to that one, you should. One of the things he said is, you know, make sure you stand out. And one thing we've been doing a lot of during the pandemic was marketing and I don't want to stop marketing. So why wouldn't I take these new tools that I have with Dysub and create all these things. And Jake and I are, Jake's doing that up in Milwaukee. I'm doing it down here in Greensboro. And together we're gonna have this little thing for Jim to take around on his business trip, business sales trip next week. And there's gonna be this tote bag that's branded. And then there's gonna be all these other little things inside, you know, that are that are just neat little things. And so, I mean, but way, way down the road, I would like to retire and just have a little dice of lab like this in my house and just do onesie twosie crafty things and own like a really cool Etsy store. That, that's very cool. I like it. That's a great answer. And I really like what you said about the, how dice sub has made you better at the color profiling because it really made you examine all the variables. That's what Dysub keeps you on your toes. People used to think it was like a black art. They're like, well, I don't, I don't know. That's like voodoo. I don't know what he's doing, but somehow the colors come out good. And so we just let him do it. Well, yeah, you let me do it. You should probably pay attention and see, cause I'm over here checking the temperature on your roll press before I send anything through it. And I'm making adjustments and I'm reading densities and I'm trying to, I'm examining, I'm fingerprinting your process so that I can actually write you a good color profile. I'm not just, 
coming in and accepting what you've been doing because not to knock the customer, but in a lot of times they're not aware of what they're doing. They just said, okay, well, the instruction said 400 for 45 seconds. That's what I'm doing. They have no idea what, what's actually occurring there, whether it be their blanket or whatever it is they're decorating. You know, are you yellowing the fabric? You know, that, that could be happening at 400 degrees. I tend to think 380 is a great number. If I can get full bloom at 380 without increasing the dwell substantially, a lot of times that's better for the fabric. So anyway, not to get too technical, but yes, I really appreciate what you said there on the color side of things, because I think Dysub is one of those processes that just requires a lot of extra attention. And if you do it right, it's a very profitable business. If you do it wrong, it can be a very frustrating business. That's for sure. <laughs> well, and I think one of the things I take for granted is the fact that I do have this really cool lab in my basement full of equipment. And, and so um, you know, that's, that's the huge side benefit for me. My, my lab before the, the business, you know, before we turned it into a business, it was, you know, a couple tables shoved in a corner with, with 25 years of living in the same house packed around it. Um, so you can only imagine. And the, the pandemic forced us to clean out that half of the, the basement. And um, for those of you who don't live up north, the basement is a thing underneath the house. <laughs> but anyway we cleaned out a corner and um, painted the walls and got really nice tables from uh, Home Depot and so it's a really nice place to go down and work and sometimes I have to make profiles down there and it's it's you know it's pleasant to work down there now and it used to be like I used to dread going down there and then based on what we learned there we set Shelby up with a, a very similar setup just on a smaller scale so it's um, it, it's cool I mean we, we she's right we learned a lot about the rest of our business by doing this. Well, I'm proud of you guys. You're all <laughs> grown up now. <laughs> so Nick, where can our users find you online? Or where, I should say, where do you want them to find you online? Where, where should they go looking for information about I you mean, or your company or both? Imaging Supplies Warehouse. So go isw.com. Uh, that's probably the best way to find me. My email is nick at goisw.com. So any questions, I'm happy to field them. And again, my, my life pretty much revolves around my family and uh, the support of the dye sublimation market. So um, I'm happy to do it. I enjoy it. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Nick. We really appreciate some good information today. Um, want to remind our listeners one more time about our color management boot camp that's coming up. Remember, that's August 31st through September 2nd in Miami at New Tech Digital Inc., uh, the link for the information to register is colorcasters.com slash Miami. If you have any questions, please email me personally at shelby at colorcasters.com. I'd be happy to answer them. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening today to the Die Subcast. If uh, you or someone you know would like to be a guest on our podcast, you can always email Shelby. Again, that's shelby at colorcasters.com. And we publish a new episode each Friday. So uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks again, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Thank you.